2: The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off.
3: Hello, I'm Ian Stone, and this is Handbreak Off the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, we're coming to you the morning after our second team got beaten by Brighton's second team in the Do We Really Have to Play This Carabao Cup third round tie? We're joined by James McNicholas and Art de Roche. Uh, morning, chaps.
4: Good morning. Morning, Ian.
3: Morning. Uh, I should say at this point that I met Art for the first time ever last night in the flesh. <laughs> in the flesh. It was, I've obviously seen each other through a screen. And he's wider than I thought he would be, James. I'll be honest with you, he's, he's wider. <laughs> I, I don't know why I thought he was less wide, but he's wider. <laughs> well, he's, th- he's
2: three-dimensional <laughs> for one. That's what it was.
3: That's what it was. I got I got art uh, in the full HD last night, which was great. Now, uh, yeah, Carabao Cup third round tie really felt almost pointless in a lot of ways. Uh, not completely, which we will get into. But we thought before we start, name a more pointless thing that you've watched than a third round Carabao Cup tie. Bear in mind, by the way, at this point, unless you're in the stadium, you literally couldn't have watched it because the, uh, the best team in the country at the moment and and one of the best teams in Europe were not broadcast by anyone. That tells you a lot about what people think about the Carabao Cup third round. What's a more pointless thing that you've watched than the third round Carabao Cup tie-out?
4: Uh, I'm not sure about watched, but if we're going quite recent, there have been days where I've probably spent hours playing Ultimate Team on FIFA. And people will get this. You basically have to play a certain amount of games to get a reward. And the rewards are really, really bad sometimes. Um, And there have been times where I've literally wanted to throw my PlayStation remote at the wall for the rewards that I got. So it'll probably... It's
3: really upsetting, isn't it? That When (laughs) when the rewards aren't very good. There's a brand of yogurt, which I won't name, that gives out (laughs) rewards when you buy and you have to collect the lids. And, and the rewards are absolutely rubbish. It's like, is more yoghurt as a reward. You're going, oh, great, great. I could have bought that. Anyway, so you're going for that, are you? This game. It's,
4: it's the, probably the most abusive relationship out there. People <laughs> buying FIFA every year, even though they hate the game. So... Yeah. I've stop, <laughs>
3: stopped, mate. I've stopped. I haven't bought the last three, and I don't intend to buy them anymore. I, I'm fine. On the last three, four I've got Bukayo Saka is forever seventeen. <laughs> all right. Um, what about you, James? Name a more pointless thing that you that you've watched than the third round Carabao Cup tie.
2: Probably some of our listeners won't remember this, but the early days of reality television, Big Brother, was the first big show that launched in the UK, and. On E4, they used to show, like, a live feed from the Big Brother house. But because they had to sort of edit it in case anyone said anything dodgy or swore, quite often the audio was just the tweeting of birds. (laughs) Like, you literally couldn't hear what they were saying. Um, So, yeah, watching real-time Big Brother house with no audio, I occasionally did do that. And the events at Emirates Stadium did cause me to reflect (laughs) on that last night.
3: (laughs) They should have had birds tweeting instead of uh, uh, the announcements or something. I actually, weirdly enough, I remember there was one bloke in one of the Big Brother episodes, episodes, one of the Big Brother series, there's been about seven or eight, and they had a guy who had... He was really into looking after himself. I mean, some would say he was a vain narcissist, but he was in the Big Brother house, so of course he was a vain narcissist. But he spent an hour moisturising his face, and I spent quite a lot of that hour watching him. (laughs) I got home slightly drunk from a gig, and there he was moisturising. He must have had a bucket of the stuff underneath, but his skin must have been outstanding. For me, well, I've already... I've mentioned the piano many times on this uh, podcast, and on other podcasts. two hours of my life, I'll never get back. I'll never get back. But also, by the way, The Wedding. It's another film... Jim Broadbent and someone else who I can picture, but I can't remember. Just utter (laughs) Total and utter. And I spent an hour and a half thinking, nothing happens, does it? I mean, I almost heckled. That's how bad it was in the cinema. The,
2: the was... wedding gift is it? Is it? Is this uh, Jim Broadbent and no, Julie Walters? No,
3: no, no, not the wedding. The weekend, the weekend. The
2: weekend. And it
3: felt like a bleeding weekend. Anyway, that's really the most pointless thing. That's how pointless it was. I couldn't even remember the name of the blooming film. We were a bit with the handbrake at time. Mm-hmm. Arsenal won Brighton three, uh, last night. A first home defeat of the season. Uh, it will all be forgotten if we win on Saturday. Ah, oh, how gutted on you are you on a scale of one to ten? I mean, let's be fair. Let's just, Chelsea, Tottenham, and Arsenal went out last night. Liverpool only beat Derby on penalties. It shows you what the teams think of it. How about you?
4: Yeah, uh, on a scale maybe like a three or a four. Like obviously, I'm not. I'm not happy that they lost. But someone actually brought up in in the um, match discussion before the game the um, schedule in January. And I hadn't looked at it to that point. And Arsenal do play Tottenham and Manchester United back to back. So if if you were going to kind of fit a a Carabao Cup game into that, you might have been a bit stressed. But um, in terms of the game last night, it was just a bit, a bit, Flat, a bit pedestrian, apart from Reese Nelson at some points during the first half. So I I don't think anyone's really lost that much sleep over it, um, especially with the amount of changes that were made.
3: No, I mean, it is worth pointing out, by the way, that if we did get through in the Carabao Cup, the next round of games is I think starts the day after the World Cup final so you know even if even if we were playing in that we'd be playing quite a lot of reserves assuming that some of our players might be playing in that James do you concur really I mean in the end it is very much the fourth choice competition and the only reason man city have won it for out the last 5 years because they got a squad that no one else can match and um, you have to do what you can if you get lucky with the draw for a couple of rounds you might get to a quarter final or semi final but after that it's not much to be said
2: Yeah, and I think the point Art makes about the January schedule, it's not just uh, United and Spurs we play in that period, it's Newcastle as well. And And I think fitting League Cup games around that, plus the one, you know, as soon as the World Cup ends, would have been tricky. Ordinarily, I'm one of those fans who's like, you've got to try and win every competition. I think the League Cup, although... Some people view it as a bit of a joke and it does get a bit of a bad rap. I think if we went to Wembley and won a final in February, it would be fantastic. And I'm sure we would enjoy a great day out and, you know, it'd be another trophy against Mikel Arteta's name. I just think in this season of all seasons, there's a practical benefit to being out of it. You know, with the World Cup being when it is and what that's done to the scheduling. I think we are probably better off out of it. And had we gone through last night, had we edged through on penalties or something like that, I do wonder how many Arsenal fans might have been looking at Chelsea being out, Spurs being out, and thinking, oh, is that going to be to their advantage in the Premier League race? And I know trophies are of paramount importance to a lot of people, but it's so clear that the next step for this squad is to be in the Champions League. It's so important to the project, to everything the club is doing, that I think that really is where the emphasis has to be, let alone the title race. And that may be something that develops. But Champions League and the league generally, I do think is the priority. And and this will enable us to preserve that a bit.
3: Yeah. I mean, I I think Mikel Arteta would have felt the same way, wouldn't he? I mean, he wouldn't make 10 changes bring in a a third-choice goalkeeper. Karl Heim made his debut um, for Estonian International. I mean, aside from the slip, I think he did okay. I don't think there was a huge amount he could have done. I I actually thought that Aaron Ramsdale may have saved the third one. But really, Mikel Arteta would have felt the same way. You know what? We don't need the extra games. If we're going to get the extra games, the reserves are going to be playing them. Yeah,
4: I think the third goal was probably the one where he'd look at himself more as an area to improve. Anyone can slip with the the penalty incident. And I I think the point you make about the amount of rotation, I don't think we've actually seen Arteta make that many changes for a cup game We've talked
3: on here, haven't we, about how he doesn't like to (laughs) make changes. So to make 10...
4: Because usually, especially like in the Europa League games, you've seen he does rotate to an extent, but there will always be at least two, three, four... Of the regular starters in that team um so yeah it was quite a surprise to see there were 10 changes and I think that probably just displayed his I guess attitude towards the game and I think bringing on obviously Jesus Zinchenko, Xhaka, Martinelli a lot of people <laughs> were quite surprised by that on my timeline but I think I remember talking to um Callum Chambers last season about the way they kind of schedule their training so players who played on the weekend will get kind of a a lighter few sessions at the start of the week and the players who didn't play will have heavier sessions at the start of the week so I think it's probably just down to that in terms of them getting just a bit more time to essentially train for the weekend, basically. It's a light
3: training session, isn't it, for some of them, in a lot of ways. Art mentioned Reese Nelson. Uh, it was a couple of bright spots. Reese certainly was one of them. Eddie and Ketty has finished uh, finish for that goal. Reese definitely seems to have taken a bit of a step up since Nottingham Forest. That does auger well, doesn't it, James?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's obviously been a boost to his confidence. Uh, I thought Eddie... Looked brighter as a centre-forward than he has done in a lot of his recent performances on the wing. Scored a good goal. Hit the post with another effort from range. I mean, that's the funny thing about this game. I thought Brighton, you know, were good and they deserved their victory. But their second goal actually came quite against the run of play. And Arsenal came out at the start of the second half. That was their best spell. Looked like they might get the second goal and go on and win it. But they were caught on the break quite effectively by Brighton. But yeah, Eddie, Reese. I guess they were the bright spots. I'm trying to think if there was anyone else. I actually thought Mohamed Elneny looked like one of the more sort of first-team level players out there in terms of his ball winning and his ball retention. But a lot of the other guys probably will reflect on an opportunity missed. And if you think about you know, some of the Europa League games, maybe the PSV match, maybe this one too, those players on the fringes of the squad in the last few weeks haven't, really with the exception of maybe Nelson stake to claim for more regular involvement and that will be the conversation heading into the January transfer window I mean Mikhail was asked in his press conference last night about his plans the depth of the squad I think a lot of people will be looking at this performance and saying you know beyond that first 13-14 players that Arteta really trusts how much depth and quality is there and, and how much will that Sustain Arsenal's challenge in the Premier League.
3: Well, quite. I mean, I mean, I, like I said. I think I said it on this podcast. I looked at Man City's squad. They've got eighteen essentially. They've got eighteen who they could bring in any time who are essentially top level. Uh, we've got thirteen or fourteen. I mean, it, it did highlight how much we need to strengthen in January and how much of a drop off there is in certain positions. Most notably, are when Thomas Partey and Granit Xhaka are not playing in central midfield.
4: Yeah, it's quite... When you're watching Conga in there, you're just looking for someone with more personality, I feel, on the ball. One thing I feel that is probably what not to be as an Arsenal midfielder is ordinary. And I just feel like his performances over the past few weeks slash months have been very ordinary and standard. You don't really see him go above a 6 or a 7 out of 10, really. I think last season you saw a player with more confidence first half of last season. Um, I remember the Newcastle game where he was really kind of imposed himself, but since the back end of last year, he's just looked like a shadow of that player. I'm not sure what really is behind that, but you just see someone now who maybe he sees the picture, but then he doesn't go with his instinct. He's always kind of second guessing himself. And I feel like, you just need someone who's a bit more free. You look at someone like Reese Nelson, obviously it's a different position, but I think especially last night, he he just looked like he had more freedom um, to do what he wanted to do, uh, whether that be take a man on and beat them or slide in Eddie Nketiah for the goal. And I just think you need someone who has that kind of confidence and I'm not sure how you kind of get that back when you're in that slump of performances.
3: Is it also, James, I mean, I've read in various uh, papers and pieces that people have written, it's very hard for players to come in if it's a brand new uh, eleven. essentially. It's okay if Lukonga came into the first team and he's got Xhaka next to him and Erdegaard in front of him and Saliba behind him. You're talking, Although he did have Saliba on him last night, but you understand the point I'm making. It's much more difficult for these reserve players to step in when they're just stepping in with other reserve players.
2: I think that's true and you can see that, you know, if you look at the performance of Fabio Vieira in, say, the Brentford game when he's playing with predominantly the first eleven coming in from Martin Odegaard, he did look a, a level up there than he has in some of these other games playing with a bit of a, a hodgepodge team. Similarly, Sambi, I mean... I remember, I think it was Aston Villa maybe earlier this season, he came in, Thomas Partey was out injured. And he and looked great. He looked, he looked he looked, pretty good that game, yeah. But playing with, you know, the first 11, I think it is hard when you're playing with a side. I mean, one of the interesting sort of, I was chatting to Tayo actually last night after the game, and he was saying, is the system the same when we play the second 11? And I do think that's an interesting question because you look at Sambi in like the Shaka role last night, but he's not really doing Shaka things. And you could say the same of maybe Cedric as the right back or one or two other players. It does feel like some of these guys, and when we play at second 11, the fit isn't quite the same. And therefore maybe the performance level doesn't quite match up. Sambi is a really interesting case. And I think Art's right to talk about confidence. He looked to me like a player last night who's pretty sure of his confidence and has fallen back a, a long way since last year. I thought there were times Brighton's press was pretty effective, but I thought he was one of the players who struggled most to deal with that. Yeah, he got caught uh, a few times, didn't he? He got caught a few times and you know, I think you could almost see a bit of exasperation from Arteta on the sidelines there. And It's a big six-month period coming up for him in his Arsenal career because at the moment it feels like it's not really working out for him, I, I'd say.
3: No. Someone tweeted, I have to apologise to whoever it was because I can't find the tweet. They said, oh, you mean this defeat means that I don't have to watch Cedric again this season? Now, (laughs) he does get a lot of stick and uh, he's another one, isn't he? He's not up to our regular defenders, he just isn't. I know he's good around the squad and everything, but he's one of the guys that you're thinking, really, we want to... we don't really want him anywhere near the first team unless we absolutely have
4: to. Well, I mean, he's a completely different profile to <laughs> to the first choice kind of right-backs that Arteta's gone with this season. Obviously, Tomiyasu and then Ben White, who's moved from centre-back, I think. When uh, looking at the squad last year, I was actually surprised that um, Chambers was let go in, in that time because he was a more kind of similar profile to Tomiyasu at the time. And then you saw Cedric, I guess, especially when he has to to run back towards his own goal, there's not a lot of security there. And I think across the back line, really, you've seen over the past couple of years, Arteta's looked to bring in big players, physical players, and that's just not Cedric um, no, that <laughs> so, is not. Um, so yeah, I think going into I guess you're the wider second, than him. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I mean I don't mind playing right back, but uh, I'm not I'm not as tall as Ben. Sorry, Benjamin White or, Benjamin White, or, or Tommy Asu. Um So no. yeah, I think going into the second half of the year, you probably see again. It's probably another benefit that they don't have the um, Europa League playoff. Playoff games to play as well because um, that may have been another game where they may have had to do a bit more rotation.
3: Quiet. Man United have got Barcelona. <laughs> Can we just enjoy that for a moment? It's really funny. I don't care which one of them gets knocked out, I'll enjoy them both getting uh, uh, struggling. Uh, and and obviously, with Man United, it's two extra games, one of the top four rivals. Anyway, this is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic.
0: Hi, I'm Adam Crafton, and I'm the host of The Athletic's new documentary series, Away From Home. We've been following Ukrainian football team Shakhtar Donetsk through the Champions League group stage. They've had to play their home games in Poland, following Russia's invasion of Ukraine.
5: The never forget.
0: In this series, we're going to take you inside Shakhtar. Travelling with them across Europe, as they set out on their Champions League odyssey.
5: It's not only about football now, it's about the show that we
0: are fighting. I'll be speaking to those in Ukraine itself, hearing stories about how the war has affected them. My wife's father, he died. They killed him here. Subscribe now to
1: Away From Home to follow the whole story. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone?
3: Ian Stone, James McNicholas, and Art Roche here on Hand Breakoff from the Athletic. James, you wrote a piece the other day about Rob Holding and his and, and the role that uh, Mikel Arteta has come up with him, the finisher role. Is this because he's in this WhatsApp group with all these other coaches and Eddie Jones and various NFL coaches, and they're giving them these ideas? It's not that I don't like it, because you have to keep a squad happy. But explain what it's about.
2: Yeah, the piece was just about sort of the psychology of being a substitute, really, and holding someone who's done a fair bit of that, more so last season, but a little bit this. He came off the bench in the final moments against Stanford Bridge the other day. And, you know, it is a fascinating role, really, because, you know, we see coaches haranguing players and giving them instructions on the sideline and they're nodding along, but you're never really sure how much they're listening. And, of course, a lot of the work is in the preparation, but... Something a lot of modern coaches are doing, and I spoke to Eddie Jones about this, who is part of this coaches' network, WhatsApp group, Zoom calls with Mikel Arteta. Eddie Jones has really pioneered this idea of finishers, starters and finishers. So normally every sportsman wants to be in the starting 11 if they're playing a team sport. How do you manage that disappointment when they're not? Well, you try and emphasise the importance of the role they may play in the game. So you talk about you're the guy who's going to bring it over the line. You're the guy who's going to bring it home for us. And to be fair to Rob Holding, his record of doing that as a substitute isn't bad. You know, when Arsenal drop into that back five, I think as a team, they feel pretty secure that they'll be able to see that out. I mean, can't think of too many occasions. Maybe the Man City at home one last season when they had 10 men, but not too many occasions where it hasn't worked for them, even if it's been quite stressful viewing for us at home. So, yeah, it was just a kind of exploration of that idea of what it is to be a substitute, you know, what kind of work goes into it, how much of those instructions you hear, why they show you the set-piece board, are you actually listening to any of that? But Rob would say himself, it's not what the players dream of, you know, they want to be starting games. And he's in an interesting position where he started every... Cup game Arsenal have played this season six in the Europa League, one in the League Cup, none in the Premier League. And there's this very clear divide for him of like where he stands in the squad. And I'll be curious to see sort of how content he is with that in the long term because most players want to be playing Premier League football.
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess there's levels of contentment, aren't there? That's mm-hmm. the thing, really. I mean, obviously, he wouldn't be content with that but he'd probably be more content with that than he would be with not playing at all. And at least he has a defined role. Oh, the whole thing... Uh, do you not sometimes get a bit frustrated when when teams bring on defenders for the last 10 minutes? Because I feel like it invites pressure. I remember Arsene Wenger doing it quite a few times when he take off a forward player and bring on a defender. And we dropped 10 yards further back and I'd feel like we were less effective defensively as a team than we were when we had our regular lot on.
4: Yeah, I I would agree with you because (laughs) I don't know how many of them listen to Handbrake Off, but when I stream Football Manager, people always tell me to to switch to a back five in the last 10 minutes. And I always say no because it invites pressure. Uh, But I guess when you're looking at it from an Arsenal perspective over the past, I guess, what would we call it? 12 months or so, it has worked so, mm. and I think what probably is different about it in that period of time is everybody knows their roles when it is that five-three-two or five-four-one, whatever it turns into. So it's almost a very defined switch to do. And I think with that pressure, I guess you you just know you know where the ball is going to drop. You know what to do when it drops and you kind of have certainties to that. So I can, underst- I, yeah, I can understand, Zed, I can understand it even if it doesn't make me feel too comfortable when it happens.
3: And by the way, it does work uh, in terms of Arsenal. Um, they haven't conceded in the final 15 minutes all season in the Premier League. It's only uh, Arsenal and Brighton that have done uh, so. Um I mean, Adrian, on this podcast, talks a lot about fast stars. But equally, we do have control at the end. So there is method um, in what's going on, as there is with everything uh, at the moment at Arsenal. Um, We don't know. uh, We are recording this on Thursday morning. We don't know the England squad as yet. So we don't know if Benjamin White uh, has made it. It would be a travesty, I believe, if he didn't. But there's no point really going into that because uh, by the time you listen to this, you'll probably know... um, the players that have been picked, Tommy Asu uh, for Japan, even though he's not fit, although he was warming up, but he did something. He was he was out there a lot. I'm sure I saw him yesterday. Um, Gabriel Martinelli and Gabriel Jesus, but not Gabriel Maguiz for Brazil. Granit Xhaka for Switzerland, Saliba for France and Turner for the USA. Um, I mean, look, some of the players are going to go. Some of them aren't. James, does it? Do you think that Gabriel Magalhães could have a sort of reaction if if uh, Jesus and Martinelli come back with the World Cup? I mean, you can't tell, can you, really? In the end, they go if they go, and if they don't, it's probably better for the club, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and, and listen, I, I don't think he was a shoo-in by any means. I think I'm right in saying he's not made his full debut for Brazil yet. So I think his expectations would always have been tempered about the World Cup, even if he'd been on the fringes of that squad I think it's great for Martinelli, nonetheless. Delighted for him. He yes. really targeted it at the start of this year. And to achieve that, given the wealth of options in attack that Brazil have, is fantastic. Um, I think his dad targeted it from when he was about six years old. They were looking at this year thinking, that'll be you one day, son. And it's a great so, story. Yeah, no pressure there. But he has managed to achieve it. So, fair play. I'm caught in two minds, really, as an Arsenal fan because... I think these players deserve the recognition and the experience will be could be a really beneficial one for them. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if they stay, I won't be too sorry because it means we can keep them with the group, hopefully prevent them picking up any injuries, too much fatigue. So it feels a little bit like, you know, hopefully it'll be a bit of a win-win. Right now, you know, the the, the momentum seems to be suggesting that Ben White will make it and you couldn't argue with it on his performances so let's wait and see what the actual squad announcement holds
3: quite Um, one more thing before we go Wolves away on Saturday night we know what we need we need to win away at Wolves we're going to be top at Christmas which is the first time since I have no idea when somebody will have a stat on that They'll be up for it, won't they? They, You can see the togetherness. You can see the way they were when they finished that game against Chelsea. Martin Odegaard in the programme last night thanked the fans again. Um, There is such a connection between the fans. The away fans uh, made a huge noise at Chelsea. And not that they had a lot to compete with with the home fans. Oh, my God. They used to call us the library. I've never heard anything so quiet. But they're going to go to Wolves, notwithstanding last uh, last night's result, with a lot of confidence, aren't they?
4: Yeah, I think if anything, like, is to go by from those celebrations, just remember Wolves away last season, the one nil where Gabriel again, Gabriel from a corner sticks it in. it in.
3: The goal stands. Gabriel scores for Arsenal,
4: and they hold out for a one nil win when Gabriel Martinelli gets sent off, and then that's when all the celebration police came out of the woodworks. So
3: that's right. I think that's if
4: you're right. looking for any sort of motivation extra motivation going into this game you just have it there um, already because the way I feel like the way Arsenal play now you've got clear defined themes but there's still that spontaneity there that makes them a threat so I'd hope that continues obviously all the the regular starters apart from Saliba were rested midweek so they should be fresh and yeah it's all about just keeping that momentum going for one, one more game, and hopefully you get over the line and uh, go into Christmas in that, that position. I'm not going to say it because I don't want to jinx anything.
3: Do you think um, it'll make a difference Art, if you say that we'll be top at Christmas? We, you
4: you never know what will make a difference. So I will, <laughs> I will to restrain be myself. <laughs>
3: it's ridiculous. We got lucky socks and all that sort of stuff? We sit with someone who's like that as well. It's absolutely insane. Um, okay. Anyway, let's never speak of uh, the game last night again, uh, except let's have a song which is vaguely connected in some way to that game. James, what have you got?
2: Well, it's a game to forget, and so I've gone with CeeLo Green, Forget You.
3: See you with the girl I love and I'll forget you.
2: And hopefully I, I will very soon.
3: Soon. Uh, Art, what about you?
4: I, I wanted to go with the most forgettable thing ever in existence, so I went with a skip off an Eminem album called Final Fort, which is literally just him all you can hear is his footsteps and a crowd in the background so I thought that might be quite fitting for last night
3: Yeah, uh, I've gone with uh, Kings of Leon, Don't Matter really tremendous rock tune uh, if you want the definitive version of it by the way, David Letterman had Kings of Leon on and they did five or six songs live and that is one of them it's the first time I heard it and I thought oh yeah it's exactly the sort of so I suppose you could call it dad rock, really. <laughs> but anyway, I am a dad and I like to rock. So there you go. Uh, that's it for handbreak Off. Thank you to James McNicholas and Art De Roche. And thanks to Guy, our producer. Oh, by the way, uh, we will um, be back on Monday prior to a break during the World Cup and we'll return before the game with West Ham on Boxing Day. Although, <laughs> does that mean we're recording on Christmas Day? Because I have to talk to the family about that one. Uh, anyway, you'll see us at some point. Um, have a nice week, and uh, thanks for listening. See you. Before you go, by the way, we should play you a little snippet from the Athletics' brand-new documentary series, Away From Home, uh, where they've been granted access all areas to Shakhtar Donetsk during their Champions League campaign. All... While their normal lives have been turned upside down by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, It's a truly remarkable series. And if you like what you hear, you can hear the first three episodes right now by searching for Away From Home, wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a little teaser.
0: Can, can, Can you hear me okay?
5: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Of course, you can ask ask question.
0: I try to answer. Sure. So, so I suppose to, just to begin, can you explain the past couple of days how how you are, and also if your family is okay? First of all.
5: Yes. Uh, uh, in in the morning of twenty uh, fourth of of the February, we walk, walked up after the uh, uh, sounds of bombs. and uh, went to basement.
0: This is the captain of Ukrainian football club Shakhtar Donetsk. His name is Tara Stepanenko, and he's one of the most famous footballers in his country. He was born before the collapse of the Soviet Union, he played over 70 times for Ukraine, and he's been with his club since 2010. I called him as war broke out to learn what was happening firsthand.
3: Multiple attacks on cities right across uh, the country. Uh, the foreign minister, uh, Dmitro Kuleba, uh, has, has just tweeted that uh, the country is under full-scale invasion uh, by Russia.
5: I have a wife and three sons. One uh, seven years, one eight, and one four.
0: OK. What do you tell them? <laughs> uh,
5: my, 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 my wife... Scared so much. Uh, we, we started to read news, but my my sons, I think they uh, they don't uh, understand clearly what happened. Now I think they 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 are scared too.
0: Stepanenko's life changed, like so many other Ukrainians did, when Russia invaded the country in early 2022. But six months on, unlike most men his age he's fortunate enough to do his normal job again, to play football and to play in the Champions League, where the best teams from across the continent face off to be crowned kings of Europe. For Ukraine, football is more than a sport now. It's a unifier. It's a statement to the world that they are strong. And Shakhtar Donetsk is the embodiment of that sentiment. We are showing all the world that, uh, that uh,
5: we are still alive. Nothing cannot kill us. We are in the war for 2014. It will be difficult to play, but we must play. Unfortunately, we are thinking just about Ukraine. And uh, if this fucking bastard from Russia thinks that we will stop to play because of that, we will not
0: stop to play. We'll play, and we will win. For the Athletic, I'm Adam Crafton. Over the course of this series. I'll be tracking Shakhtar's unique football journey as they navigate their way through football's toughest contest, all whilst there's a brutal war raging on their doorstep, forcing them out of their own country.
5: We you didn't sleep, you, you cannot sleep. Three days, three days without sleep.
0: I'm proud that I'm part of this
5: team, of this club, and today we can be proud because this victory is, is for Ukrainian people, for Ukrainian citizens. It's not only about football now, it's about to show, that, uh, to show that we are fighting, that we are still alive.
0: <laughs> this is Away From Home. Episode 1. We believe in miracles.
2: The Athletic.